Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. Dr. Gray obtained his master's in both acupuncture and oriental medicine from the Atlantic Institute of Oriental Medicine. Dr. Gray enjoys both being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Germany and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and France. He is co-author of several books on food therapy. His office is in Jupiter, Florida, where he has practiced for over a decade and where he resides. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, quality living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray, holistic physician. Thank you for joining us every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard on 88.9 FM WQCS. That is uh, National Public Radio. We're also available via iTunes, Apple iTunes, and the Public Radio Exchange. So for past episodes and uh, any portion of this one, please tune in and subscribe. We are always proud to have a different guest from all over the world and uh, have the pleasure of having in the studio with me today, Dr. Chanel Bagwandin, uh, someone I've met when he first came uh, to Jupiter, Florida, but he's um, nationally known and, and has been doing some great work in the area of surgical oncology. Uh, so I thought it was just great timing that we could uh, get him on this in this studio today to speak with you to, so you can learn more about the advancements in surgical oncology, specifically in the area of uh, pancreatic uh, cancer, because that's become increasingly concerned, you know, uh, topic w- in the area and the world of cancer, so to speak. Um, and you've been doing some wonderful work uh, surgically for patients. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a very complex disease. A lot of people know someone that's touched by pancreas cancer or yeah. uh, may even have a close family member or friend. So it's um, unfortunately one of those diseases that, have, you know, awareness is certainly key. And, and you know, having a, a surgical oncologist or a cancer surgeon available that treats that is um, certainly part of the, the dialogue as soon as the diagnosis is made. So mm. obviously happy to, happy to be a part of the show and, and field any questions and yes, talk a little you. bit about what I do. Thank you. The, um, you know, obviously I want to share some background, just, you know, you're fairly young. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but you're inciting a lot of confidence, obviously in the hospital that you work with, uh, here and and hospitals you have worked with and the patients more so the families that you're touching. Uh, so tell us how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I, I trained in Chicago. I did my residency in Chicago and that's sort of where I, I fell in love with a, a lot of cancer surgery. Um, you know, the patients that, I interacted with, I, I sort of say that that lead, led me to, um, you know, what I wanted to do. And I felt they had the most uh, impact on me as a, as a, as a junior surgeon. I uh, then went back to New York and did my fellowship at Mount Sinai uh, in New York City, uh, where I trained under Dr. Daniel Labo, who is a, a close friend and a mentor. Um, we did a lot of complex liver pancreas surgery. And 
um, that really, you know, really solidified my interest in, in how to approach pancreatic cancer patients. Um, I've been down here in Jupiter now for about a year as of September last year. And, and that sort of was born out of a, a relationship with Mount Sinai Hospital and Jupiter Medical Center, um, specifically with regards to the oncology program. So building up the cancer relationship, we recognized that a lot of patients were either leaving the Florida area or coming from, from all over the country to Mount Sinai to get care, get recommendations. And, you know, I, I'm certainly a big advocate of second opinions. And I, I think you definitely need to have a lot of those resources available to you when you're treating a complex disease. But certainly you can see how it can lend itself to a delay in diagnosis or even workup and treatment when you go from institution to institution. And, um, you know, through that relationship, uh, I came down here. I was on, I'm, I'm still on faculty at Mount Sinai, in fact, in, in New York. Um, but I came down here to Florida to sort of build up the program for surgical oncology, not just for pancreas cancer, but for complex liver, bile duct cancers, um, as well as colon, gastric cancers, rectal. Um, so we're certainly seeing a lot more patients. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the, the most important things is having a lot of those resources, like, like I said, available once you have a diagnosis or at least a suspected diagnosis to guide that work up along, figure out who is a, a candidate for surgery, because only about 20% of the patients that I see in the office are actual surgical candidates, because we are dealing with such an aggressive disease that at the time of diagnosis, the majority of patients already have micrometastatic disease, or what that means is that the cancer is spread from the pancreas to another organ, such as the liver or the lining in the abdomen. So. It, uh, it, it definitely helps to have a lot of the expertise together, um, you know, to, to help uh, guide that work up and, right. and diagnosis and treatment. You know, I think, you know, I've done quite a few shows on, on this. I, I've sat on, on board for many years with yeah. the Alliance of Families Fighting Pancreatic Cancer. I've worked with Berg Biotech uh, and tried to lend some integrative um, insight to their research. Uh, and I've worked with... Uh, Beth Israel Deaconess and learned a lot about this with Dr. Moser and, and I've exposed my audiences but it's it's the audience is ever increasing the questions are ever increasing and the obviously the unfortunate nature of this cancer is spreading right and we don't know why so I guess the question is is in layman's terms why is it such a difficult uh, cancer to diagnose and then treat Right. So e excellent question. I mean, pancreas cancer is now on target to become the second most deadliest cancer by 2020. And it's sort of moving up in, in, in that sort of, um, you know, fatality rate. But one of the reasons that we're not necessarily seeing it at an increased incidence, but we are treating other cancers that were more, you know, are more preventable. So for colon cancer, for example, um, you know, we have colonoscopies that we're able to do uh, colon cancer screening, detect polyps, and prevent them before they transform into a cancer. There's not a lot out there that's available for pancreas cancer with regards to screening, detecting it at an earlier stage. And unfortunately, the majority of patients, like I said, present where the disease is already advanced. So, right. so, so just to back up, yeah. basically, by the time there are symptoms that a patient or a person like right. an everyday person like you and me or ch child, mother, son, yeah. father, whatever, will notice, 
the disease is already that disease is already sort of moved on right it's, it's moving at such an aggressive pace and right. a lot of those symptoms are you know just vague abdominal pain right um weight loss nausea, vomiting. yeah yeah um so some basic people, things that people will sometimes take something for right they right. might take some pepto-bismol or exactly right it's, or, it's not or, really a, a, a clue in or, or anything mm. that's really going to guide you until you know, you're really having severe, severe symptoms or at the point that some people with a mass in the head of the pancreas, the pancreas is shaped sort of like a fish. It's got a head, a body, and a tail. Right. When you have a mass in the head of the pancreas, those patients will present with jaundice. And that's sort of obviously a clue in right. something's now not right. A, there's an effect with the liver. Exactly. connection with the liver. Exactly. So that being said, you look at the pancreas, and, and I know there's this sort of... Um, not a rule, but a saying in medicine that you learn, and I was told this a while back. <laughs> above all, don't don't touch this. Right, right. There's, there's many different versions of that. Right. Usually in the OR with surgeons, it's a little bit more abrasive. But yeah, yeah exactly. Give don't us your version of what. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just one of those things that um, the pancreas is a very very delicate organ. It doesn't like to be messed with, and it, it's very sensitive. So anything simply as a, a biopsy, even of a mask, could certainly tr- trigger pancreatitis right um you know so which is just simply the inflammation inflammation of of the pancreas now and then and and another detail is this gland basically Mm -hmm. it's an organ but it's primarily a gland is filled with enzymes right and so for our audience explain that interaction because i i really just you know i think this is so much mystery and i like to really flush it out because that's the problem is that your average everyday person just doesn't know yeah they're hearing these terms and then all of a sudden you're hit with it or a family member's hit with it and you just don't understand it yeah and you just go you're on this this whirlwind of (laughs) like you said care and uh yeah i mean that that is the perfect way to describe it it is it it does function as a a gland it has uh hormonal function so it has endocrine function where it uh produces insulin to to regulate our our blood sugar um and then it also has an exocrine function which basically means that it produces hormones and enzymes to help us digest certain foods fatty foods mostly um, and as a result of that, you can have pancreatic cancer that is of the exocrine function. So that's the typical aggressive pancreatic cancer that you hear and read about, um, you know, that starts in the lining of the duct. So if you think of the pancreas as a fish, it's sort of like the spine of the fish. That right. duct delivers those enzymes into the intestine so that we can digest foods. Whereas the endocrine cancers are typically what they're called neuroendocrine, you know, pancreatic tumors. And, and those are malignancies, those are cancers, but they're a little bit, um, you know, better behaved. You'll, you'll hear a lot of um, celebrities that are, that are diagnosed with that. Steve Jobs is a, is a notable one that had an aggressive pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. But that being said, you know, the, the one that usually sort of raises a lot of eyebrows and behaves in an unfavorable way is more the, uh, the adenocarcinoma or the, the ones that come from the exocrine function. So... This is diagnosed. By the time it's diagnosed, what really gets a person in there? What, what gets yeah. a person? What gets a patient to you? Yeah. So, and, and a lot of it is the painless jaundice. Okay. Um, patients that don't have abdominal pain mostly, um, but they start to notice a, a yellow coloring, which sometimes can be difficult in the Florida sun because it, it could just be you know a tan that's that's you know not not exactly noticeable, but right. a lot of yellowing in the eyes and things like that can certainly. Um, you know, trigger a, a spouse to notice some sort of change more in a in a in a in their their significant other than they themselves actually noticing it because it is sur- it's subtle, 
um, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting. The weight loss is, is pronounced, and it's usually due to a, a loss of appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at that, that point, um, you know, we very rarely, we do a lot of uh, CT scans now because we have them accessible to us, but um, a lot of patients don't get, you know, sort of an incidental finding of a pancreatic mm. cancer, meaning it just continues to grow and grow. Right. And at that point, it, it starts to invade blood vessels or other organs, nearby organs, and including the bile duct. And, you know, I think there was a myth at, at one time that it was a drinker's disease. Yeah. So it was dismissed for a long time because yeah. I figured, you know, oh, if you're a drinker, you kind of deserve right. to die of something if you're an alcoholic. You know, that's sort of <laughs> unfortunate, yeah. you know lack of compassion in, in that we see in different areas sure, of medicine sure. um, so they just didn't pay much attention yeah it's sort of the same thing right. with um, you know cirrhosis and right. liver cancer yeah. but in, yeah. in fact you know hepatitis is a, is a big contributor yeah. to uh, cirrhosis but yeah, yeah to exactly. your point so um, so but then other research then started pointing to smokers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then starting to try to label it as a smoker's disease yeah that you're more likely to get pancreatic cancer if you're a smoker than you are if you're an yeah. alcoholic Right. Is that now the case still, or is there it, more, you know, newer it is, research? It is. I mean, talking about risk factors, you know, and, and obviously we don't have ways to screen, but certainly the highest predisposition to pancreatic cancer, and it, it's a disease typically of, you know, 60s to 70s, but we're talking about uh, long-term smokers that become predisposed as far as a risk factor. Um, other risk factors are obesity, um, pancreatitis, and I think that's probably where you see a lot of that connotation with alcoholism or alcohol abuse is that sometimes you do get pancreatitis with alcohol uh, use. So pancreatitis, one that we've seen recently and published is late onset diabetes. So patients that are diagnosed with diabetes, you know, over the age of 50 would be considered late onset. And the majority of those patients, um, you know, they don't develop pancreatic cancer. But at the same time, we are seeing an association where within two to three years of that diagnosis, it's showing something in the environment within the pancreas that is transforming. And, you know, just this past week, I saw someone that was in her 70s and two to three, two to three years uh, earlier, she had been diagnosed with diabetes. So you are certainly seeing that association uh, with pancreas cancer. But late onset. Late onset. And then sort of that being a predisposition exactly. and a possibility to then pancreatic cancer. Correct. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, this was an elderly lady. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing more women to men, male to female? So mostly dominance? mostly men. And I, I would say that that is, um, you know, just probably more so a predisposition or a higher likelihood of smoking as well that okay. you see with, with men versus women. Um, and, and heavy drinking and heavy drinking. Right. Um, you know, as far as familial risk, I I know a a lot of patients come to me with a family history of pancreas cancer. Um, you know, right now, I don't think that we've necessarily identified a specific gene that is being passed down from family members, but you do see some sort of genetic predisposition to developing pancreas cancer right now it's my last meeting at, at Berg sorry to interrupt but yeah. my last meeting at, um, not at Berg I'm sorry at Beth Israel Deaconess I think they were sort of trying to connect with cervical same gene you know uh, yeah. uh, genetics or, or predisposition yeah. to cervical cancer yeah there's certainly and a lot of uh, maybe even breast right and, yeah. and, and BRCA is one that, that yeah. has been popularized with regards to breast cancer but there's also um, a risk for pancreatic cancer in patients with BRCA mutations which right. is a a breast cancer related mutation. Um, 
you know, so there's certainly a lot of overlap with other cancers. It's not right. just one gene predisposed to one. they're just not one. able to really totally exactly. zero in. Right now we have, you know, one that's, that's um, PIK, but, but it's, uh, you know, you only see that in about 5 to 10% of, of mm-hmm. patients with regards to a sort of a inheritance of a gene that mm-hmm. leads to pancreatic cancer. Right. So with your miracle hands, you go <laughs> in and you open up a patient. Yeah. This is not done arthroscopically at this point. So we, we do it, I, I do it laparoscopically as well as robotic. Okay. Um, but, it, but it does certainly so depend uh, on... what they call the da Vinci? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that is a, you know, a modality with which that you can sort of minimize the, uh, the length of the incision. Obviously, with any cancer surgery, the principles are the same, mm-hmm. meaning that the goal of a cancer surgery should be the same regardless of how it's done, be it right. open incision, laparoscopic, robotically. Right. Um, you know, if I have a, a patient with a tumor in the tail of the pancreas, um, that's something that, you know, nine times out of 10 is typically approached with a laparoscopic or a minimally invasive approach, robotic even, right. um, you know, where you can divide the pancreas and do a good uh, cancer operation, clear the lymph nodes as well as the um, remove the spleen typically in those situations. And those patients have, you know, a more favorable recovery where they're home typically in about three days. Right. Now you uh, go in and you're, uh, there's a few different operations, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's a few different right. stages at which a patient has uh, been Correct. diagnosed. And in the, the majority of patients are late stage, as we discussed, because yeah. there's just no early warning signs at present. Right. We don't have many gene markers. We just don't have the technology uh, that, that will be available in a few years to come. Provided that we <laughs> yeah, make, make some uh, yeah. moves. Yeah. yeah. So, so that being said, uh, this late stage, th- there's a surgery called a Whipple. Mm-hmm. Give us that yeah. picture, what so that is, because that's the most. Yeah, that's, that, that's what a lot of people hear about. Yeah. Right. So th- the Whipple is uh, named after um, Dr. Whipple. It's, it's um, basically a surgery that is specific to a cancer that's within the head of the pancreas. So as I mentioned, the tail of the pancreas can be removed with just the spleen attached, but when it comes to a, a cancer in the head of the pancreas, that is a very um, complex area where the bile duct inserts, the pancreatic duct inserts to the intestine right there. Um, there's a lot of surrounding vessels around the neck of the pancreas. So a lot of um, you know the complexity of that operation uh, is then directed towards not only the safe and effective removal of a cancer in that portion, it, it also refers to the reconstruction of all of those vital organs. So a Whipple basically refers to removal of the head of the pancreas with the cancer, the first portion of the intestine, which is called the duodenum, the end of the bile duct, which if most people have a gallbladder, it's a, it, it also includes the gallbladder, um, and then the reconstruction of all of those structures so everything sort of regains normal continuity right um you know by, so by bringing reconstruction by mean that you mean connecting you connecting connect everything all else yeah port, by me yeah. exactly yeah. that so you, port, you so basically speak, re yeah. reconnect everything with very fine sutures sew everything right. into place and allow all of those structures the bile duct to drain the liver the stomach to right. then drain into the intestine and the pancreatic duct to also drain and it. that's providing that not hopefully majority of this is salvaged and right. has not been affected by the cancer cells. Exactly. So there's that whole other level. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. A, a lot of patients, um, you know, that decision is based primarily on imaging going right. into the operating right. room. Um, you know, so we assess how advanced the, the disease is, make right. sure it's not spread anywhere else. 
um, you know, my approach is similar to what we do at Mount Sinai in, in New York is that we'll typically employ chemotherapy right. up front. Yeah. Um, that way patients can get some of the chemotherapy if for some reason there's a cell circulating throughout the body because right. we know this disease to be that aggressive. You can certainly give some of the chemotherapy up front and it also can make for a more favorable operation, meaning right. if the mass is too close to blood vessels or right. it's a large mass, it can certainly shrink it down and make the operation a little better. And we're talking just chemotherapy or chemotherapy and radiation? So th there are different uh, algorithms, but um, right now the typical recommendation is upfront chemotherapy. Radiation is another option, but um, we reserve it in patients that have disease that is has not spread anywhere else, so it hasn't metastasized. Um, but it is too advanced, meaning it's growing into certain structures that you need that extra additional sort of treatment to see if you can help move it away from those blood vessels. Okay. Now, uh, provided this is done, the life expectancy, there's yeah. no real idea about yeah. it. it. It just is what it is. I yeah, mean, it, you just it, get, it, you're buying more time, but exactly. the life it, becomes it, a little bit difficult after it, this surgery, yeah it, 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 it like. is it is one of those con uh, cancers I'll, I'll contribute that we don't use the word cure okay um often so yeah, that's where i was there, going next <laughs> there, there are certain patients that you know have certainly had a whipple operation yeah. and they're still obviously alive 10 yeah. years later yeah but this is the same operation that you would do for let's say a cancer in the duodenum which is the first portion of the the intestine or a polyp in the in the duodenum or the bile duct there are a lot of different structures so the survival is all relative to what the type of cancer is. But speaking, um, you know, specifically to pancreas cancer, you know, the five-year survival overall is still less than 10%. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I would beg to say it's probably more in the realm of 5 to 10%. Right. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, with surgery, obviously those patients do better, which is why we do such an aggressive operation, because that's the only thing that's going to remove the cancer. Right. But it does have a high... Um, recurrence rate, meaning that it can come back, um, be it in the pancreas, or it can come back as spread to right. a, another area. So, you know, all this paints a picture of how valuable you are. There's not many surgeons that do what you do, and even less that do it well. Right. Um, so the fact that you're here, <laughs> yeah, you know, close in proximity to me, and 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 also at a destination place. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, nice absolutely. to have you in Florida because that's you know, as far as medical tourism goes, this is one of the top yeah. places for people to come yeah. and 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 receive good care. Yeah, and uh, unique care that uh, and unique surgeries. Right? Yeah, we we, so. we have a lot of patients, obviously, that that live down here, and it, it's one of those things that um you know, with regards to academic medicine and and things like that volume of surgery, the volume and expertise of, of these complex cases that you see are ter certainly tied to outcomes, good right. outcomes. So it's, it's important that, you know, you have a surgeon that does a lot of these, um, that you have all of the available resources, which right. are, are we do at Jupiter Medical Center, um, and to lend itself to that. I also um, discuss the complex pancreatic cases and liver cases at Mount Sinai in New York every right. week. So right. I do a teleconference where um, colleagues like myself, my sur uh, uh, surgeons like myself, medical oncologists that give chemotherapy, everyone reviews the imaging together right. so that that way patients don't have to leave the area to get a second opinion. I bring that to them. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing an increase in your, uh, you know, involvement, obviously, in yeah. both areas, Jupiter Medical Center, Mount Sinai. Now, as far as increasing involvement, uh, 
in your experience and, and all that you're doing, are you seeing sort of, you know, unless a family mm-hmm. realistically employs me to be supportive in their care, yeah, to help them make it through chemotherapy or supportive chemotherapy prior to surgery right. or and, and in their recovery and helping to boost their immune system, which obviously cancer is tied to that. For sure. It's not really something that I get to do. Yeah. Because yeah. the physicians, it's not part of your schooling. It's not part of your education. It's right. not part of your experience right. do you see some sort of um evolution in that is I, that I, coming up in your discussion i, I do i absolutely and it, it's something i think you, you make a very good point because patients are we, we have patients that are um you know in tune they, they they read a lot they're they're not just you know going to the doctor and following recommendations right. they they're reading they're learning about new new ways to approach cancers um and it's one of those things that you know certainly we need to have a comprehensive team mm-hmm. to, to treat these cancers and from well-being to nutrition to immune system to just treating the cancer itself. All right. of these things play a role because the most important thing um, with pancreas cancer is not making the treatment worse than the disease. It's making sure exactly. that we have you know, a, a, a good focus on quality of life and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that you know, is, is just my philosophy. It's the way I approach it. And I help to guide my patients along, which is why I, I always say it's important to have a surgeon, cancer surgeon, as an important part of the conversation because you do find, you know, a lot of um, medical specialists that may make a lot of the decision making without consultation, and that's why it's important to have a multidisciplinary, multiple right. experts that are that are, that know of how to treat this disease right. involved, like uh, yourself as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's I think about all about increasing that percentage of quality of life and I, and I hope to see more of it and I thank you for joining us today my pleasure this has been a, a real pleasure pleasure and, and I think it's inspiring I, and I hope it's inspiring to our listeners to know that there's you know that you're out there and other individuals doing some great work to uh, make this hope this disease a thing of the past at some point absolutely thank um, you um this has been another Maximum Health Quality Living, uh, and we've had uh, Dr. Chanel Bagwandin, uh, surgical oncology, uh, board-certified surgical oncologist over at Jupiter Medical Center, also, also Mount Sinai, and you can reach uh, him through his office at 561-745-7789. Thank you for joining us, and again, any portion of the show, if you've missed it, iTunes, uh, Apple iTunes, as well as the Public Radio Exchange. See you next time.